Hello and welcome, everybody. Welcome to the No Name Music Cast. My name's Tim, and this is Joy. And we've decided to start the episodes a little bit different going forward. You know, we're just trying to mix it up in the world of the uh, No Name Music Cast. So, the last episode, I premiered a section called Ask Joy. And what we've done is we've put that out on our various social channels, our uh, Twitter and our Facebook page. And we have got some questions for Joy. So I'm going to ask her some questions. I'm going to pick the questions. We've had more than I than I can actually ask in this episode. But I'm going to pick a few questions and then Joy can give her answers. OK. All right. So this first question comes from Gillian Bond, Jilbo, who's a listener of the podcast, obviously. And she wants to know which UK artist is Joy's favourite that I have introduced you to, introduced to you. And that doesn't include like Spice Girls or something that you knew about. <laughs> something that's completely new that I've told you about and then you've gone and checked out. I wish I could remember their names, but the ones who sing the rabbit song. Oh, Chaz and Dave. That's what it is. Yeah, those are probably my favourites of the ones that you've made me listen to. I say made like you held a gun to me, but the ones you've had me listen to. <laughs> yeah, I would say that one's probably my top because out of all of them, they had the most songs that I liked. Okay. Well, they, as, as we discussed before, they are a British institution and probably nobody knows them in the United States. And I often would think when I was driving along the road listening to Chaz and Dave, I was probably the, the only person in the entire country doing that. But now I know that you possibly might be listening to Ain't No Pleasing You or Margate or uh, London Girls or something like that. It pops up on my playlist, like, you know, because Google listens to everything we say, Tim. Mm -hmm. And so anytime me and Tim talk about something on the podcast, it slowly will stop popping up on my playlist. And so they they come through a few times now. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Well, well, that's good. And then she has a follow-up question. She says, what's your favorite UK trivia that I've taught you? The hospital radio. Ah, I don't know why, but that strikes me. as we, So if you go back, I have no clue what episode it was. It was towards the beginning. Tim explained to me there is a radio station that plays at the hospital. What did you say it's called? Yeah, it's got just hospital radio. Each, oh. each hospital typically has its own radio station. And it's normally <laughs> staffed by volunteers. And then the music is piped into like headsets and stuff that you can plug into. So if you're on the ward, you can plug in and they play dedications and they have they. I think they rebroadcast some commercial radio content, but, but a lot of the programming they have is unique to them. And see, the reason that struck me as odd is when Tim first told me it, I had an image of just like when you're at the grocery store, <laughs> there's music playing over the loudspeaker. I thought that's what he meant for like, I'd be like, oh my gosh, if I was just like, Going through surgery, I don't know if I'd want to hear <laughs> some <laughs> hospital. And he's like, no, Joy, you have to put headphones on. And I was like, oh, OK. So yeah, that was my most favorite fact. I don't know why. Yeah, well, there we are. And a lot of uh, a lot of DJs, UK DJs got their start on hospital radio as well. Yeah, I thought that was cool, too. I mean, I guess it's probably a volunteer gig. So that makes sense. Sure. Absolutely. OK, well, I have another question from Megan Osmond. She wants to know, what was the first music poster to go up on your bedroom wall? Oh, I'm trying to place all the music posters. I had tons. I was one of those um, people who thought that every inch of my wall needed to have a poster on it when I was a kid, Tim. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to know. There was a Doors one. For sure, there was a Jim Morrison one that was one of the first. And then I had one of the iconic Backstreet Boys, I think, in the Larger Than Life video. Mm-hmm. So it's probably either that that's that pretty much sums me up. It's either the doors or <laughs> specifically Jim Morrison or Backstreet Boys. That sums up about the catalog of my music and how it varies. But it would probably be one of those two. Well, I'm glad that even at that very early age, you, you, you sort of had the classics and then you had the contemporary even even then. And of course, my father's name is Jim Morrison. So that's an on running going joke. Um, My best friend had like a Jim Morrison bumper sticker on the back of her car for a long time. My dad would always be like, oh, look, I'm on the back of your car. Uh, dad joke. <laughs> <laughs> so, and what, what, when, when those posters were going up, what kind of age was you? The Backstreet Boys, I was probably like eight, eight or nine, maybe 10. I don't remember before that. It would have probably been Barney or something before that, because I did sing. So was Barney a UK thing or is it an only American thing, Tim? 
but Bart, what with the is that pink elephant thing? Purple dinosaur. Pa- yes, <laughs> purple dinosaur. There we are. Well, I, yeah, I'm sure it was a UK thing. I mean, I remember it being around before, but I mean, it wasn't a thing when I was growing up. But I'm sure it was a it was a UK thing too. Well, I was a connoisseur of the Barney cleanup song. I used to sing it when I would clean in my room. I think my parents were using it as a way to get me to clean my room up. But, you know, neither here nor there. Barney was probably the predecessor to the Backstreet Boys and the Doors. And then there may have been, I mean, I used to cut magazines out, like just random things and hang them up on my wall. So it's hard to tell what it was all up there. No. <laughs> I was that person. There you go. And in fact, in fact, uh, Megan has another question for you, which we can probably get in. What is the song that always brings you joy? The one that you can put on at any time and it's like, boom, you're happy. Hmm. Boom, I'm happy. Well, I'm trying not to think there's a few, but the one that probably brings me the most joy, and this is probably going to sound really weird, is... Um, Quiet riots, bang your head. <laughs> it's my go-to song to blare, and that just makes me super happy. And that sounds really weird because it's um, it's not exactly what you think when you think of that. Like you're you're expecting me to pick something that's like speaks to me, but no, that one's probably it. <laughs> I mean, I always say Bodie and Russ Putin's up there too, but we talk about that one a lot. So I'm gonna go with bang your head. Well, you know, because that, that is, as we've, we've spoken before, that is completely factually accurate as well. Mm-hmm. So there we go. There's my pick. <laughs> F- fantastic. And I had one other question. I was just trying to, uh, was trying to find it. See, I we see a lot of questions. Phil, Phil has just put a question. Oh, Lord, what did Phil say? <laughs> I'm scared for his question. <laughs> This is live. This is, they're coming in live. Well, here's a quick one. Marley Royal wants to know how much do you and Charlie spend annually on folk Funko Pops? So that is my niece, and she is an avid listener of the podcast. Good thing we keep the PG around here. But <laughs> she, um, she knows my house. For those who don't know, my house is full of Funkos. I asked Charlie this question because I was trying to figure out like how one day, like he said anywhere from probably, probably around $2,000 a year. Depending on what comes live, what's, you know, but he also resells a lot of them too. So it's hard to tell, but Charles's guess was $2,000. Yeah. But it's, it's more kind of buying, sell, buying, sell. So, so there there may be some money spent, but there's going to be some money earned. So maybe, maybe the whole thing cancels itself out. Well, see, in theory, that's how I'm convinced to buy them, but it's more like buy, 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 sell one, Tim. <laughs> sell one. <laughs> that's Charlie's theory is he's going to get sell more than he does. <laughs> <laughs> and this, this is the last question before we wrap this section up. So okay. this was Phil. This is live. Phil Reese just came in. I was just going through the questions that I was about to answer, and I saw this one. He asked another question, but I'm going to go with this. It says, who would win in a fight? A British badger or a U.S. raccoon and why? Oh, God. Well, I think it depends on. Okay, so when I think of British badger, I just had like an instinct of thinking like if you're fighting on the streets, because I feel like a British badger would be like in downtown London. So like if you're taking it to the streets and you're in like a city area, I'll take the badger. But if you're in the country, the raccoons around here, Tim, they get into some weird stuff. (laughs) So if they were in the country, I think the raccoon would win in America. Yeah, I, I would go with the raccoon. If 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 you had a uh, if you had a badger and a raccoon in in the uh, squared circle, as it were, my money would be on the raccoon. Well, I have an image of like a badger like pulling out a knife, like, like it's a knife <laughs> fight. But I don't. I, I, they wouldn't need to. They're badgers. I mean, badgers typically are armed. I will tell you that. I mean, they're actually really ravenous, but raccoons around here get into some weird stuff. So there's no telling. You might have like a moonshine raccoon or something. (laughs) (laughs) How about a moonshine raccoon versus a honey badger? Honey badgers are terrifying. So I'm going honey badger. Do you see some of those videos, Tim? Yeah, you have like honey badger and like a lion or something and the honey badger wins. Yeah. So if the badger that is British has a honey badger, then yes, that one would win. 
There but we if are. it's a moonshine raccoon, they're taking it. <laughs> <laughs> well, there we go. That's that's Ask Joy. We will we'll, we'll continue to send in your questions for Joy, and we will we will ask her. And the more random the question, the better. I know. As soon as you said Phil's name, I was like, oh, gosh, what am I getting myself into? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're going to get into the topic this week, and this is my topic. Now, I had another topic picked out, and I might save that for a few weeks' time. Okay. Um, but I was listening back to the episode that just posted, and I thought, you know what, I might do this. And I've been thinking of doing this one for a while, so I thought I took a, a last-minute decision of changing my topic, and here we are. Okay. So... This week, we're going to go over the 1991 MTV Music Video Awards. Ooh, that's a fun one. We talked a little bit about some of it on here before. Yeah, absolutely. So I assume you didn't see the 1991 MTV (laughs) Music Video Awards when it came out. I was one. So no, I don't. I mean, if I did, I can't tell you. Like I said, I was on Barty World at that time. But I have seen bits and pieces and some of the famous stuff now as an adult on the YouTubes. Yeah, so so I remember seeing it. I was thirty years old or something when this. Uh, when, I thought when, you were seventy two, Tim. Remember something like something like that, and it was a, it was a pivotal moment for me because we had satellite TV before anyone else I knew had satellite TV, and we had MTV Europe. And MTV Europe was a completely separate station to MTV US, but they carried a lot of the US programming. And the MTV Music Video Awards, they they would show it later on in the day recorded. But what they would do is they'd they'd show them live. Okay. So because of the time difference and because it started at seven o'clock or eight o'clock or something like that, I stayed up all night and it started at midnight or two o'clock in the morning. It'd be like 1 a.m. for you. Yes, something like that. It it was very late. But I remember staying up all night to watch it. And uh, what interested me the most is I'd heard that Van Halen were going to open it. Okay. So I stayed up specifically for that. And I think towards the end, I probably fell asleep on the sofa, but it was, it was really pivotal for me because I was getting into playing guitar. Um, a lot of the bands that were on here, I'd heard of maybe hadn't actually seen them yet. I was starting to buy us guitar magazines and learning about all that different kind of music. And my tastes were changing away from top 40 pop, which is what I'd normally listen to into more kind of hard rock guitar orientated music. So it came at that time. And certainly the um, Van Halen performance, which I'm going to come on to in a minute, was pivotal for me because I saw the guitar that Eddie Van Halen was playing and that later on became my main guitar. Hmm. Oh yeah, you've talked about that before. Exactly. So what I'm going to do, I'm first things first, I'm going to go through the live performances that went on at the MTV Music Video Awards. And we can talk about each one in turn. And then as we have time in the episode, we'll go through some of the awards that were handed out too. It was broadcast on September the 5th, 1991, which was a Thursday. And I said, that's the day I stayed up. I was obviously, I had school the next day, so that didn't (laughs) seem to matter. I probably just didn't go in. It was fine. I mean, I was like three months past a year old, so, you know. (laughs) (laughs) And the awards took took place at the Universal Amphitheater in Los Angeles, or as it's now known, Harry Potter World. Which I'm okay with. I still want to go get some butterbeer, but, you know. (laughs) (laughs) And interestingly, it was hosted by Arsenio Hall. Hmm. I always see someone who did the gong show, right? Or what was it? The comedy show. Well, wasn't he on it in in living color i think and then no. he had then he had his own, uh, own chat show. show that's what i was gonna say yeah. he had his own show that's what it was okay i mean he yeah. would have been kind of a name at that time yeah so he had his own chat show and it was around I, th- I, I don't know if leno was on the tonight show at that point but it was that kind of yeah that kind of time and he was a, he was a very popular uh, media person around that time oh yeah i've seen him in plenty of things Okay, so what I'm going to do, let's said, let's go through the uh, the performances of the um, of the award ceremony. So, of course, this is the bit that drew me in. This is the bit that got me here, and that was Van Halen's uh, live version of Pound Cake. Now, we discussed Pound Cake a few episodes ago on my uh, episode of um, the world ending and how it was a song that I wanted to listen to. But I think it, st- it still holds up. I would find this episode on YouTube, episode, find this video on YouTube. Arsenio Hall introduces it and then they play Pound Cake and Eddie's got all these huge 
guitar amplifier stacks up there and he's playing his music man guitar and Sammy's got his like 80s curly hair and it <laughs> was course. I don't know my 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 universe changed at that point it was very their epitome of their big hair moment exactly <laughs> Michael Anthony has like a polka polka dot shirt which is huge black and <laughs> I've white seen polka the shirt, dots. yeah oh fantastic and I actually saw them on the tour in 92 they played in Wembley Arena in in London and I saw that tour off the back of this and I bought the album and I don't know, my whole my whole universe was waiting to change. There was Nebworth 90 when it was beginning to change. And by the time you got to this in 1991, my entire world had turned in on itself. And I had learned how to say three words at <laughs> 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 that time. From... <laughs> Sorry. All right. I'm here for the comedic um, timing, of course. <laughs> <laughs> All so right. the next the next live performance maybe this is an <laughs> act that you're familiar with C and C Music Factory. Yep, there's the gonna make you sweat, and they're the ones that have the backup vocals with the ladies that they replace their their um, singing. The, the there's like some African American backup ladies who sing in the C and C Music Factory, and they replace they body swapped them in the videos. Oh, did they? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Um, but I mean, I think gonna make you sweat. Everybody dance now. All that kind of pumping up gym music or whatever <laughs> exactly and they did they did a medley uh, they did things that make you go mm, here we go and gonna make you sweat it was it was they, they they jammed in all their classics in this uh in this mtv music video awards performance i mean that's really all their songs period <laughs> <laughs> i mean yeah. did, did any did anything become of cnc music factory I, I really don't know they're used in sports arenas for the rest of their life that's all i got I'm sure it's been used at a football game or something. <laughs> well, if if they're getting their royalty, I mean, all is good. I mean, I don't know what they're, what they're doing now. I haven't heard a word from them. I don't think they're doing anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, if CNC Music Factory want to come on the uh, on the show and tell us about what they've been doing since 1991, we we'd be happy to have them. I would be good. They're probably, like you said, Tim, they're probably just leaving off the royalties being played in every major sporting event since the beginning of the 90s. That that's true. The the ones that don't have. Um, we will rock you or um or, or the void that's been left by the uh, the gary glitter songs obviously that you can't play so maybe that's where cnc music factory came in i don't know i was literally thinking the same thing because that's all i ever think of when i think of gary glitter is you know being used in sports and then i'm like well they probably can't play him anymore for good reason he yeah. doesn't deserve any of that but anyway it's exactly okay so the next performance that we come on to is poison talk dirty to me now what's interesting about this is that cc deville the guitarist from poison i think he was chemically assisted in this performance Mm -hmm. but remember we talked this was on my episode about weird um like weird stage performances i can't remember what we called it but yeah 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 so uh, most guitar players or most guitar players who are touring on the kind of level that poison would have been touring at this point will use a wireless system for your guitar and what that means for if you don't know you have a little pack that plugs into your guitar and there's no cable between your guitar and your amp and the idea being is you can dance around the whole stage and you don't worry about getting tangled up and you can run from one stage to the <laughs> stage and the other and all that kind of stuff. I've used wireless systems. I had a bad experience performing the national anthem on Linda Jagger's roof when it cut out and I vowed never to use them again. But that is that is a story for another time. <laughs> Very specific story. But yes, that's, that makes sense since they're hopping all over the stage typically. Yeah. But in this particular performance, CeCe DeVille decided not to use a wireless system and to use a cable, when which is again lots of guitar players do that joe bonamassa he is a fabulous guitar player he doesn't use a wireless system uses a cable people say it sounds better they prefer the way the the response of the guitar it's all it's all good but what you do if you use a cable you loop the cable through the back of your strap so if you tread on your cable guess what doesn't happen the guitar cable doesn't come out cc Deville is dancing around he's probably been enjoying the fruits of uh whatever he's had backstage and he treads on his guitar cable and this had a global audience of who knows how many Mm -hmm. millions of people and he unpulls the guitar cable and it goes very silent and there's a very awkward look between him and everybody else in the band back again you've never seen this performance It's, it's it's an interesting one exactly and needless to say that was the end of cc deville for quite some time he was uh he was asked to leave poison 
Yeah, that was what he had. He finally got clean at some point. I'm pretty sure. I think so. And then he ended up coming back and, and Poison now are on the nostalgia circuit. And, you know, they, they get play state fairs and sort of these kind of nostalgic gigs with other bands of a similar era. So he's back in the van and I'm sure he I'm sure he's probably in a better place and he probably doesn't party as hard well, as he did. And poor Brett Michaels, Tim, I swear everything that can go wrong to a person is went wrong to him. Oh, I saw that video of Brett Michaels where he was walking off stage and a piece of scenery came down and he clonked his head right into it. Well, there was that. We talked about this. And then, you know, he had like a brain aneurysm, didn't he? And there was like another accident. I think he fell off stage once. I mean, Brett Michaels, could if it could happen to him, it would have happened to him. He's got my father's luck in that sense. Um, but yeah, so and, and yeah, he. I remember though we talked about the one what was it that happened to him recently? Didn't he like have like a brain aneurysm or something? I think, I think that was it. Yeah. I think you're correct. Yeah. Like just a, well, I don't know if it was a freak brain, an- brain aneurysm. Cause like you said, there was some chemical enhancements back in the poison days. Could have been some residual um, chemicals, but still. Sure. I know, you know, a lot, a lot of bands have partied and a lot of bands have partied hard and l- most people are lucky and they come through the other side reasonably unscathed, but there are, there are a few folks who are, uh, did a little bit too much and it didn't uh, didn't uh, help them long term. Well, and I don't know. I mean, people who don't party get brain aneurysms. They're kind of random. Oh, sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, he's he's had some bad. So um, he's also had some bad luck with that, too. Yeah. <laughs> and was it what um, when, when what words was I trying to say? When was it that the piece of equipment like fell and hit him over the head? What concert tour was that? I don't know. It, it was maybe in the last 10 or so years. I think it's certainly since I've lived here and I've seen the video. He's walking off stage and then like a piece of scenery comes down and he didn't know where it, that it was there. And then he carries mm-hmm. on walking and he just basically is at like walking pace and he clonks his head into the scenery. Yeah, they said that he had to be taken to the hospital immediately. But anyway, so that has nothing to do with CeCe DeVille. I just know that Brett Michaels has had some bad luck, too. <laughs> there, there we are. Well, well, I well, I hope that I hope they're all healthy and they're all in a good place these days. Our friends in poison. Yeah, um, I mean, I haven't heard anything out of them. Oh, Brett Michaels was on. He was a banana on the Mass Singer. If anybody was wondering, <laughs> and he plays a piano as a banana. And Sharon Osbourne figured out it was him almost immediately because, like, obviously the Osbournes have met Brett Michaels. They're friends, you know, sure. go way back. And she knew instantly it was him. But yeah, he was a banana. <laughs> did you did you see Penn and Teller on yeah. the Mask Singer? And I thought about you because I was like, we finally got to hear um, Teller's voice. I've heard Teller's voice. I've heard Teller's voice right next to me. I've seen Penn and Teller in Vegas three or four times on the occasions I've been there, and I've seen. I've never actually met Teller at the meet and greet afters because when you see their show, they just wait in the lobby and you can meet them and they'll sign things and take pictures. And there's no like meet and greet ticket or anything. They just come out and if you want to meet them, you can. And if you don't, you can go and it's fine. It's just they just assume that's what you're supposed to do. So they do it and they they think it's terrible. All these acts up charge for that. Yeah. So I've heard Teller at a distance talking to people signing autographs. So I've met Penn and chatted to Penn. But we was in the audience and they were doing a trick where somebody was being brought on stage and Teller came up to within two seats of where we were sitting. And he came up to somebody who, like said, they wanted to be part of the act. And then I heard him say, oh, are you OK to come on the stage? Is that OK? Now it'll be about 10 minutes. Is that all right for you? And you're, you're, you're happy to do the thing and the thing. And they went, yeah, that's fine. OK, you can come up. And it's just like this. This is weird. I've heard I've heard Teller speak like on YouTube and on TV and stuff. And he did an NPR interview. But yeah. when you have Teller, the famous mute Teller, like six See. feet from you talking, it's just it's too much. It, it was. Well, I will say. I always think of Penn in a different way. Like, I know you're a big Penn and Teller fan, but for me, the thing that I think of when I think of Penn is when he was on, so he was the, uh, on Sabrina, the teenage witch. I don't know if you know that or not, Tim, he was like the guy who guards or like the main person of the other realm for the, like he like had to, uh, he was on the show all the time, but he had to like, when they would break rules and stuff, it'd be Penn. That's what he oh. did. He was on Sabrina the Teenage Witch. And, you know, he's got that big, deep voice. He's super tall. So they made him. I'm like, he, they, he was like a judge of a sense. And like he dated one of Sabrina's aunts off and on. So there was an untold romance. But yeah, so when I think of Pitt and Teller, that's what I always think of. 
Yeah, I, I, I know he's on Miami Vice and he, he has done lots of acting through his career, but I know, I know Penn as being a magician and they're a very interesting guy. And his podcast, Penn Sunday School, mm-hmm. is incredibly entertaining. His, his viewpoint on the world is very, very refreshing. That's awesome. Yeah, he's, they seem like really nice people when they talk, like just generally nice people. So that doesn't surprise me. But yeah, there's there's your uh, hot 90s tip you didn't know. Pim was on. Um, and I don't know if Teller was ever a guest star, but it wouldn't shock me. Possibly. Possibly. Well, here we are. All right. So the next one is probably more up your street a little bit. Mariah <laughs> Carey singing Emotions. And that that did you watch that? Have you seen that version where she sings it? Yeah, I've, I've, I've seen the whole thing. I've seen all the performances many times. So that is Mariah at the top Mariah. That mm-hmm. is like known as one of her greatest because her voice when Mariah was top level Mariah and we can get into what you feel about her now and I don't care. She had a gorgeous voice and a great stage presence. There was a reason she's Mariah Carey, right? Mm-hmm. She's a diva for a reason. That that episode is specifically that episode. That's not what I would say. That um, performance that I think is top Mariah. 100%. I mean, it's a a great performance. Absolutely. But for me, Top Mariah is her MTV Unplugged performance. And when she Mm -hmm. does that cover of I'll Be There, it is just amazing. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, she and she has. So what's very interesting or what makes her singing so I think because when they made they talk about, you know, six octaves, but usually when someone can sing six octaves, they can't really do the top of the range very well at the bottom. Just because you could hit the note doesn't mean it sounds great. Right. Mm-hmm. So with that being said, she can do it very well in her transitions from top to bottom. It's so smooth. Like she, when she goes from head voice to chest voice, you don't hear a change up. Um, so it was it is fantastic. Like it for her ability to do that, to go from like up here to down here and you never hear, it just sounds so easy. It's so majestic. That's why I think she's such a good performer. But anyway. Yeah. And, and yeah, lately Mariah Carey doesn't have the magic that she did back then. I mean, it's, you know, she's older, obviously she's older, but some, but some singers mature with age and their voices continue to be amazing. And I don't think Mariah is necessarily at peak Mariah anymore. Well, she said there's a few reasons for it. Um, one, improper vocal cord. She wasn't trained as a singer. That mm-hmm. can ruin your vocal cords for life. The big one, though, that I've heard and the one that I tend to subscribe to is that she took a bunch of um, hormones because she was having fertility problems and hormones affect your vocal cords. Mm-hmm. And so she and she wanted to have children. You know, she has her twins, um, which is great for her because that's what she wanted. But by doing that, she took a risk because anything with testosterone, estrogen will mess up your vocal cords. Sure. Well, Well, at least least if nothing else, I hope Mariah is happy that um, I mean, she really wanted to have kids. So I think it was what she wanted. Yeah, that's what I subscribe to. What happened to Mariah? Okay. All right, so let's move on to the next one. So the next one wasn't actually performed at the uh, the um, event itself, but it was live, and it was from the O2 Forum in Kentish Town. It was then known as the Town and Country Club in London. And this was EMF, an unbelievable. Okay, I can't hear that song without singing of a stupid commercial, Crumbelievable. <laughs> do, do you know what I'm talking about, Tim? Was that it's, it might have just been an American thing, but there was a cookie commercial and it was like, it's crumbelievable. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so now every time I hear that song, that's all I hear. I have not heard that. I'm going to have to look that up. <laughs> also, oh, that might be worth posting. But yeah, it's just I don't remember. I think it was Chips Ahoy cookies. I could be wrong. But yeah, there was definitely a commercial in the 90s that used it. And all it did was the whole the whole commercial was just like, it's unbelievable. Oh, da, da. that's all you heard. And now every time I hear that song, I can't unhear it. <laughs> I didn't know that. I really didn't know that. <laughs> it's true. Now um, I probably just unwoke a memory in a bunch of people's minds. They forgot. <laughs> They'll never. It's also there was one that Vanilla Ice did. Oh, there was a vanilla ice commercial that he did with one of his songs uh, about macaroni and cheese. I think oh, I got to think about that one. I'm going to have to think about that one. But when that song comes on too, I hear the macaroni and cheese. <laughs> I mean, some people would say this kind of stuff is selling out, but equally they have bills to pay like you and I. So, I mean, whatever. I mean, let's be honest. Neither one of those artists are like 
selling out arenas at the current moment. <laughs> no, that, that's very true. <laughs> <laughs> I can't now. All I hear is that stupid commercial in my head. I can't even tell you what the cookies were, but I will say it was an iconic commercial because 17 years later, I'm still thinking about it. <laughs> You're still thinking of crumbling. <laughs> <laughs> did, did they ever have any other songs? I don't know. I, I, I know. I know. Um, unbelievable. I said, can I see what other singles did they have? Unbelievable. I believe children. Perfect. It's a, well, the, well, the only other one that they had, which was really well known, they did a cover of I'm a Believer. And that was with Vic Reeves and Bob Mortimer. Um, I kind of know what you're, I think I've heard it, but it's not something. Okay. I'd like to, it's not cookies. It's crumble sharp cheddar cheese. That was the commercial. Ah, I thought it was cookies, but apparently all I remember is them singing. I don't even remember the product. So maybe it wasn't that good of a commercial. (laughs) (laughs) You just remember it was crumbelievable. I can't even say it. Crumbelievable. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I'll, I will give, I will let Tim hear the commercial after this episode, but apparently it was for cheats, not cookies. There we go. All right. So let's move on to the next one live performances. So we have Paula Abdul, and it wasn't um, Opposites Attract or Straight Up. It was her song, Vibology. I'm not even sure I know that song. No. And as I was looking back through, I mean, I know nearly all of these performances because this is such an important event that I watch many times. Mm-hmm. And that's not one that stuck out. I, it, I, you, no, I wouldn't know that song. My life depended on it. <laughs> I mean, you'd, you'd like to think that DJ Scat Cat would be involved, but I, I think he may have, uh, he, he may have been elsewhere. Well, and I mean, even if she didn't want to do that, there's there's got to be another song that's a little bit rare that we would have at least heard of. But to be fair, Paula Abdul, to me, is more of a dancer and performer than she is a singer. Yeah, well, she she she's known as, as a choreographer. That's what mm-hmm. she was known for. And then, of course, dancing and that kind of stuff. But yeah, singing, singing came later. And then after singing, of course, she was a media personality, TV personality, yep. um, reality show yeah, the yeah, yeah, the type thing. See, I'm Team Cold Hearted Snake. That's my favorite, and the choreography she does to it is amazing. Yeah, Cold Cold Hearted Snake is a great song. I like Straight Up, mm-hmm. and I do like uh, Opposites Attract. Yeah, the I whole mean, the whole of Forever Your Girl album is fantastic. It was. I mean, she's. She, I would go see her live. Like, I'm not saying I'm not insulting her by saying I don't think of her as a singer. I think of her. There's a difference between a singer, though, and a performer, like an entertainer. She tends to fall under the entertainment side for me. Sure. I, I, yeah. I mean, you, you you go you would go to see Aretha Franklin because mm-hmm. she is an amazing singer. You, well, you would have back in the day. But you go and see Paula Abdul to be entertained. Exactly. Um, and she was, she went through some bad stuff. I think she was having a really hard time recently, but I think she's back on the up and up now. And it's, I even think she might be touring again. There we go. go. Well, if if we, if if we see that, um, Paula Abdul is coming to the Roanoke civic center, maybe we will (laughs) stop, but we'll get some tickets and we'll go and see what that's all about. Maybe we'll figure out what vibology is. (laughs) It's a classic. People love Fibology. Sure, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the next performance. Now, this is another favorite of mine, a band I hadn't really heard of until the MTV Music Video Awards, is Queensryche with their song Silent Lucidity. Was it not a European thing or were they mostly American? Because I've heard of them quite a bit. Yeah, I think it was mostly American. The thing is you have to understand, it's certainly at the time and when I was growing up, mm-hmm. I always say this, there wasn't a lot of rock music yeah. in England. And I say that because you went through the radio dial and it was really just top 40 or classical or news. There wasn't really a rock station like you can go to here where you go through it. Every town has a rock station that plays ACDC every third song. That didn't exist. And you may have had like some rock concerts some rock music that mm-hmm. would be shown on TV as a special once in a while, but it wasn't wasn't sort of ingrained in the culture like it is here. So Queen's Right Silent Lucidity, I'd never heard that song before. I'd, in fact, I'd heard of it before the MTV Awards because there was a Guitar World transcription for it. And I was looking through the tab and I didn't know how it went. And only when I heard it on there, I was like, oh, OK, well, that's that one and that's that one. 
I'm glad you pronounced their name, though, because I don't know I've ever actually had to say it out loud. What, Queensryche? <laughs> yeah. Um, they're from, they are American, though. I think they're from, like, Washington or something, even though their name doesn't look like it. Yeah, but they, they have what's known as a heavy metal umlaut yeah. in their name, like Motley Crue and Motorhead. It's very fa- it was very fashionable for a while to have a German umlaut over one of the characters. Now, as you know, in certain languages, when you have those those characters over letters, mm-hmm. it makes the sound different. Like yeah. in Swedish, for example, if you have an A and there's a little circle over it, it's an or sound. In French, they have two different ones. There's an accented groove, and then I can't remember what the other one is. And then one's over U and one's over E. And it does the same thing. It changes the sound. Yeah, and but I think in the in the case of the heavy metal umlaut, it doesn't. It makes no difference. Like Spinal Tap, yeah, like Spinal Tap, which of course is a parody band. But there's plenty of umlauts in that name that really don't do anything other than look cool. Oh yeah, I mean, I kind of rank them up there because they've got they've got a, they're more of a metal band. Like they're like Iron Maiden, that kind of thing. They Blue Oyster Cult, Dio, stuff like that. That's what I kind of think of them in the genre of. Yeah, I, I would say the Silent Lucidity is a really good power ballad. Oh yeah, well, and I don't—they didn't have a whole lot of music, well, not to me. I mean, I think they had a few songs that I would know, but they're not like you know Metallica or something. No, they had Eyes of a Stranger, Stranger. as another single of theirs. They, they've got albums and albums and albums out, but and I think the singer left, and then he formed another band that was called Queensrÿche, and then the ex, the existing members continued with Queensrÿche, and then it became a whole thing like Bucks Fizz. But you probably don't know who Bucks Fizz are, so not a clue, not no 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 do I, no idea. <laughs> it's, it's a British band that won the Eurovision Song Contest. And then some of the members left and the new members came in. And in the end, Bucks Fizz had no original members. And then there was another offshoot band of Bucks Fizz that had one member. And then there was some lawsuit that allowed both versions of Bucks Fizz to gig at the same time with the same name. And then one of them left. It was a whole thing. There was, there was a documentary about it. And I don't know what's happened now, but three remaining members of Bucks Fizz are now called The Fizz. Oh, I've heard of The Fizz. Yeah, the fizz with Cheryl Baker and what have you. That I've heard of, but I didn't know the whole history there. Well, I didn't know that there was such a vast um, story to be told there. I mean, you know how it is, though, Tim. They always say they will perform again till hell, together until hell freezes over. But then when money starts coming to um, hell freezes over real quick. <laughs> exactly. Well, it's, it's like the Black Crows, like the mm-hmm. brothers Robinson said they would never play together again. In fact, they've never wanted to see each other ever again. And then their bank balances got together and decided they could be friends. I mean, Metallica did the same thing. We've already talked about how um, Fleetwood Mac did the same thing. Exactly. <laughs> they never yeah, wanted would... to see each other again. Well, exactly as you just said, Eagles, exactly the same. They said hell would freeze over before they got back together. But I don't know. They, uh, <laughs> they, they, so the almighty dollar got together and decided they could be friends. I'm just saying hell freezes over real quick when the money symbols start getting low. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I like to think I have a little bit of um, credibility in that respect. <laughs> However, there are certain people I probably would never want to see again or play music with again. But I don't know if the, if the money was ridiculously right, I can get with anyone. I really can. Tim's like, Joy, take a tambourine. We're going. <laughs> I don't know what you can do, but figure it out when we get off stage. <laughs> anyway. All right. All right. So the, ne- so the next one up is LL Cool J with Mama Said Knock You Out. Which is like, one of the only LL Cool J songs I actually know. <laughs> but the interesting thing about this performance, it wasn't live. It was taken from MTV Unplugged. Where, <laughs> did you know Did you know LL Cool J did an MTV Unplugged? I did not. He did. Back when that was a that. thing, he did an MTV Unplugged. And it's Mama Said Knock You Out. And there's just like dudes playing acoustic guitar and like tambourines and stuff. And it's weird. Well, and now LL Cool J is more of like an actor, isn't he? Is he like on like cop shows or something? Or like host TV shows or something? I thought that was Ice-T, or do they both get involved oh. with acting? I think LL Cool J did. No, LL Cool J hosted that um, Jimmy Fallon's lip sync battles. That's what he was doing. Ah. Yeah, like he's not even, I don't, I don't think he's doing rap music anymore. I wouldn't know off the top of my head, but that's, I think he's like become more, oh, and he was on NCIS. That's what it was. Ah, uh, there we go. There we go. 
I do know one thing that the ladies love Cool J. I do know that. I mean, yeah, he's a pretty man. I'm not saying I'm not dissing him. I don't know why his mom wants him to hurt people, though. But, you know, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> Can't answer these questions. <laughs> if, if, if he wants to answer some questions, he can appear at the beginning of the show like everybody else. <laughs> We've got a list going. Me and Tim just keep adding people. Someone come to the show. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the next performance, and this was a great performance. Now, the song is hideously overplayed at this point, but at the time, I really enjoyed it. And then the, I think the performance they did at the MTV Awards still holds up, and this was Enter Sandman Metallica. I mean, it was in their peak, though, of Enter Sandman. And where we live at, we hear it even more because it's the Virginia Tech theme song thing, I think. Yeah, you know I think, yeah, when the um, when the Virginia Tech Hokies, which is a local college football team, come on, they come on to enter Sandman and it's a thing. And I think didn't even Metallica perform at Lane Stadium where the Hokies play and they performed it live there once or twice. Yeah, I think that they did. I heard something about that. Yeah, it's something about like when they when the Hokies enter the stadium, they start playing it and everybody starts jumping up and down. I've never been to a Hokie football game. I will never go to one. But that is what I have heard. Yeah, I have no interest in U.S. football. I don't dislike it like I dislike U.K. soccer, but I have really no interest to get involved in that. And all I know is that sometimes there's traffic in Blacksburg on a Saturday, and that's about all I know. And then, Or when you're trying to get home from work. <laughs> yeah, well, luckily we're going away from Lane Stadium, so it's, it's not too bad. Yeah. Or, um, or- I mean, me and Tim live near two major college campuses, so something's always going on around here. Exactly. So because I had graduation recently. And so when you when you drive into Blacksburg, which is where I work and where Joy used to work, they, they actually re, they redid the road. So it, it's not quite as bad now, but you still get stuck in traffic on graduation day and it can get backed up for miles and miles. I mean, for, for our UK friends, I mean, who, who have to suffer the M25 every day or suffer the M3 or the M4 and that traffic jam, it's nothing. It's absolutely nothing. The fact that it might take me an extra 12 minutes to get to work is nothing. But I'm just saying for living in South rural Southwest Virginia traffic, uh, this is big news. (laughs) It's the hot topic of the day, Tim. It took me an extra three minutes to get through that traffic light. (laughs) (laughs) Lord. All right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I've seen that performance though. It was a good performance and, like you said, I can't, I don't know that I ever want to actually hear Inner Sandman again. Not really. No, it's, it's not quite that Guns N' Roses song of which we never speak, but it's in that kind of era of music where I've heard it so much, it's too much. Well, and I think the other thing is, is it's like that, it's that song that everybody knows from Metallica. Like you talk to anyone and that's the first song they're going to say, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like Metallica has a lot of good other songs that you just really wish people would listen to. At least that's the way I am. Yeah. I mean, even off the Black album, I'd rather hear Sad But True, True. or something like that. Not, not Sandman. Yeah. And there we are. Well, there's our hot take on another overplayed song. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe at some point we need to do Overplayed Classics Volume 2. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we probably... I'll have to be thinking about that because I'm going to have a few episodes coming up. Tim, don't take it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not thinking I'm anything, Joy. I'm not thinking anything. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but Master of Puppets is a really good album. I will say that. Sure, probably the I mean, main one. I mean, like Ride the Lightning and Justice for All, all great Metallica stuff. I mean, some of the early Metallica albums have no bass on them. Someone needs to remix them with bass. Oh, yeah, you did say that. Was there a reason they didn't have bass? I think it was just it was just an artistic choice. I mean, the bass guitarist was there. I think it's a lot like the Cliff Burton era of Metallica. Um, <laughs> but I think it was just a production choice that it didn't. It wasn't particularly bass heavy. They they would they, what they would do is they would they'd scoop the guitars. You take the mid range out, which yeah. gives a very particular sound. And I think they were at that point they were scooping everything: drums, bass, the whole thing. And the net result is it it doesn't have a, a big low end presence to it. Huh. So that's why you can't tell it's there. Interesting. I mean, I guess it's an artistic choice. There you go, Tim. You can, I mean, you could pull it off. Take a bass out, Tim, and just rewrite and re-record every Metallica song. Go. 
the, See how yeah, it goes there for we you. are. Or you can go on YouTube where people have re-EQ'd it to put bass in it. Well, whatever you prefer oh, to do. Man, I thought it was an original idea. <laughs> I was going to make you millions. You finally get somebody to carry your stuff into your gigs. <laughs> All right, what's the next one? Okay, so Don Henley appeared mm-hmm. on this, and this was his solo song, Heart of the Matter. I don't even know if I know that song. That's a that's a pretty good song. I mean, I know that song because for a period of time before I left England, myself and Paul Hogg from Rough Justice, we had an acoustic duo called Rough Justice Unplugged. It was a very short-lived project for maybe <laughs> a year or two. <laughs> he wanted to have some really nice experiences with me before I left. That's that that was his justification of doing it. And he wanted to just me and him to go out and play gigs. But what Fair happened enough. is we play these places as a duo, and all everyone wanted was the Rough Justice rock band. That's what it boiled down to. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, what's this guy? What's happening? Yeah, what's, what's, ha- what's happened? If we want to hear you play ACDC and stuff. So we, we did it for a while. It was a bit of fun. But then we put, you know, the, the main Rough Justice band went out and did some gigs. And then it broke. They say it broke up. Paul sort of decided he didn't want to do it anymore. And then he would do a one-off, and then he wouldn't want to do it anymore, and then he'd play some, and it, was, it, went, it went on like that until Those I darn left. musicians. <laughs> yeah, until I left in early 2011, and the, we played the final ever Rough Justice gig, and that was the end of that. So was it, I just have like an image of you two on stage, like doing your version of More Than Words or something. <laughs> <laughs> so what? how does this Don Henley song go? I'm trying to place it in my head, but it doesn't sound familiar at all. Even as no, any more playing, 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 playing. <laughs> well, I guess Nothing. a copyright strike. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, Tim, because I didn't recognize it. So maybe that's <laughs> it's, it's a good song. It's, I like that song. It's a good song. I don't know why. It seems like something I would know, but it just doesn't bring a bell. I think it's also on uh, the Hell Freezes Over Eagles live album. I think because it was around that kind of time. Hmm. No idea. Well, I mean, Hell Freeze is over and they can play together, but I still don't know the song. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe if you're feeling mellow, Joy, just... Um, I'll give it a listen. Seek, seek, seek out that Don Henley song. As, 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 they, as they say in the world, give it a goog. I will give it a goog. All right. What's there next? Okay. So this, again, wasn't one that took place in the studio in Los Angeles. This was actually live from Wembley Stadium. This was a, this, this award show was a logistical uh, nightmare. (laughs) Yeah. With satellite links and goodness knows what's going on. But this was Guns N' Roses performing Live and Let Die. Well, I mean, I do know that song. (laughs) (laughs) Which you were probably excited for that one because it was right up your alley at that time, I bet. Yeah, absolutely. And it was Axel was probably I think he was he was wearing a kilt. It was of course. It, yeah, it was perfect. And but was he wearing was, a bandana? That's when you really know he's Axel Rose. I think he's legally obligated to wear a bandana. Mm. So he always has to wear a bandana at all times. Yeah, there, there, are, there, there are certain laws that cover that stuff. <laughs> he actually is in every contract that he signs must wear a bandana. <laughs> <laughs> We're not allowed to play. <laughs> He's either always wearing a, and there's always like a sweater wrapped around him. You know what I'm talking about, Tim, or something like that. Because mm. if he doesn't have a kilt on, he needs something else flowing. It's like a oh, sweater. absolutely. I mean, I mean that, that that's the thing, and and he has to do his salamander dance <laughs> at least three times per show. There's like an actual card that's in the contract too. <laughs> Yeah, it's to hire someone specifically to write all these obligations out. <laughs> I, I thought of going seeing Guns N' Roses recently because they toured the US, I think, just before the COVID. And then I think they kicked it off, you know, a few months ago because I never saw them at their peak. I could have gone to Wembley Stadium and to see them. And many of my mm-hmm. friends did. But I, for whatever reason, I didn't. And I thought of seeing them. But as with a lot of these big stadium gigs, I'm just getting too old, really, to get involved in that. It's like I'm going to pay three, four hundred dollars a pop to stand in a field with 30,000 other people (laughs) and see two little dots at the end of the field whilst watching a video screen. I, I mean... Maybe the essence of this I'm missing out on, but I don't know whether I want to do that. 
So I actually did just spend $300 on tickets for, it's called like Midland Music Festival because uh, My Chemical Romance and Fall Out Boy are going to be there. And there's a list of like 10 other bands that I'm already sitting here going, should I bring a lawn chair? <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm like, oh, because it's like a full, like, you know, event. there's going to have base stages, substations. It's, it's in Atlanta, Georgia. We've been looking at some cool Airbnbs. Like I'm going to make a whole event of it. But I'm already thinking, gosh, I wish I had a seat. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean, though? Like, I will say when I went in so um, some 41, my feet were killing me afterwards, Tim, because we were standing on like a grate mm-hmm. and like in the, for what was probably five hours straight. And I'm like, I can't do this. <laughs> I was sore for like three days straight. I mean, like when I play a gig, I mean, over the course of the evening, mm-hmm. I'm probably on my feet for four hours, maybe yeah. by the time by the time you do two sets of an hour and a half or maybe three sets, depending on where you play and milling them out between that. I'm probably standing up for four hours, give or take. Um, I mean, I'm used to that, but I don't know something about being at a gig and being sloshed around with other people standing in a field. I I don't know. Yeah. And it's always more awkward when you're not well. And when you're playing, your mind is on that. Whereas if you're in the audience, there's like so many other things going on that you're thinking about. Think about the guy beside you. Why is he coughing? You're thinking about, <laughs> you know what I mean? The girl over here who's really drunk. These people are moshing over here. Please don't hit me. I will hit back. <laughs> yeah. And when you're playing a gig, you're in your own personal space and you're yep. in your own personal space that you've defined. Because as we learned from a previous episode, you have to get there early to get the space on stage. But, you know, you've you've defined your space and mm-hmm. the only thing you've got to worry about is like being too close to the singer or too close to the bass player or whatever but you know it's it's fine and then even if you're on stage and you start feeling a bit weird you could you could pull up a chair it wouldn't matter it's your it's your performance i but, mean um, yeah but like when you when you're standing up there I, I don't yeah i don't know well i will say when i was at the concert a few weeks back we were right on front row and there was a girl behind us who was trying to push to get to the front and she tried to push past me and i looked at her when i pushed back and she walked away <laughs> <laughs> it's like I'm not the one. I'll push back. <laughs> she walked away. Tim, I'm not the one. <laughs> Joy doesn't play at those kind of things. Well, I'm also like there's a metal like thing in front of me. There's like you're literally right here behind me. Though, what much more can you get to? You know what I mean? What is your point here? Sure, and then then it becomes a whole crowd surging situation, which is which can be deadly. Yeah. Well, and then we had tons of crowd surfers and I refused to hold them up, Tim. Nobody wants to hold me up. I'm not holding you. (laughs) The crowd surfer comes past me. You good luck. You're probably going to hit the ground. (laughs) I I tell you, if if you enjoy that and that's something that you like, you enjoy yourself. Mm -mm. But I I think that I think that's a young person's game. I would probably end up being dropped with my luck, Tim, and my track record of injuring myself and end up with a broken arm and on TV somehow. That's the girl uh, who tried to crowd surf. I can tell you now, Joy, that is not for you. None of that stuff is for you. Not even a little bit. No. Well, then I wouldn't like the idea of people, all random people in the audience just touching me in general, like all the hands that touch you. No, thanks. No. Too old for that. All right. I don't even remember what band we were talking about. <laughs> we were talking about Guns N' Roses and Live and Let Die. <laughs> we didn't speak anything about the song. <laughs> well, I guess we were talking about Axl Rose wearing a bandana, and that was the extent. <laughs> All right. What's the next artist? Okay. So the, the musical act that closed out the MTV Music Video Awards was Prince and the New Power Generation, and it was Get Off. I mean... That's a fav- that's a that's a favorite of mine and a great way to end a show. Exactly. And I, I think if I remember correctly, it was a whole production. Not only was mm-hmm. it with Prince with his live band, it was a whole stage production. It was a, it was a whole thing. And you find in some of these later MTV awards, they're focusing on the stage production, but the music is second. But in the world of Prince, you can guarantee that the, the music was the focus and the stage production was the thing as well. Yeah, and that's that's what I think makes the difference with these artists that like we talk about like the princes and the Madonnas and the Michael Jacksons and the Elton Johns of the world. Yeah. They do a whole stage show, but music is what comes first. And that's really what makes them larger than life. In my opinion. 
Exactly. 100%. Because you can do all you want on stage, but if it sounds like you're a dying cat, I'm probably still going to leave. <laughs> or as it seems, it seems to be common is that they just, they don't even sing. They just sing into a track. Yep. And there's, I mean, there is a time and a place for backing tracks. I will say certain arenas and things, you need some level of a backing track. The problem is, is when it all becomes backing track, right? Exactly. Because like if you're playing like a large studio um, stadium, Tim's kind of talked about the logistics of it because he understands it more than I do. I could see why sometimes a backing track could be necessary to some point. Yeah, we've spoken about that at the uh, Super Bowl shows, where sometimes mm-hmm. it's not always practical to have a live act or live band, should yeah. I say, when your focus is a production. But, I, you know, in the realm of someone like Prince, I, I couldn't see a world where Prince would be uh, miming to a backing track because he's Prince, such a virtuoso musician. Prince was, did the Super Bowl and he did not have a backing track. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Yeah, Prince. Did you ever watch the Prince Super Bowl halftime show? I did. It is amazing. So He's play, he plays cover tunes. He plays a Foo Fighters song. It's great. It's like he just walked up there and said, hmm, "I'm going to play this today." Like it's all random. And there's also there's a whole documentary on YouTube about it where like they woke up the day of the Super Bowl and it was supposed to rain and then it was like the biggest thunderstorm that that area had ever seen. And the guy who was producing the show called Prince in his hotel room at seven o'clock in the morning and said, Prince, do you realize it's going to be constant rain? It's going to be raining like we've never seen here. And he said, bring it on. I mean, got it. The show must go on. And I could see him somehow making rain look iconic for some weird reason. Like if I did it, I'd look like a drowning rat, but he'll probably make it look cool. <laughs> well, he, um, he famously closes that segment with purple rain and there was a, mm-hmm. there was a slight reprieve in the rain. And then when he kicked up with purple rain, it started tipping down again. Yep. And it was just like, yep. you couldn't, you couldn't have planned it better than that. I mean, you know, he called someone Prince probably has the weather made on, phone or something to make that happen it's a very prince thing to do <laughs> exactly <laughs> the weatherman tim i don't know who makes the weather <laughs> it's al roker he makes the weather well prince had him on speed time. <laughs> yeah. and for our uk listeners john ketley makes the weather I don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> that is a weatherman from the 80s oh. who's probably long since retired. I don't know who does the weather now. Wincy Willis. No, that's probably equally as old as John. So he's an equivalent to Al Roker, I see. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure Al Roker, does Al Roker even do the weather on the Today Show anymore? I think he just talks. Like, he's just like a talk guest host or something. Oh, <laughs> I, I, I don't no know. Idea. I haven't watched the weather in Lord knows how long, but for me, I always think WDBJ seven, Robin Reed. <laughs> and we've <laughs> so covered Robin with. Reed. I have, I have Robin Reed trauma. I don't want to retread that. <laughs> Robin Reed, if you're listening and you'd like to come on the show, Tim would like to have a conversation with you. <laughs> yeah. I want to talk to you about that Billy ocean gig at the Salem <laughs> civic center in about 20, 2012 or so. It will never, he will never get over it. You know, the high end clientele that goes to see Billy Ocean. It's not for them. That lady is all past. Yeah. Those people up there. It's not, it's not for them. No, it's not for them. Okay. Well, with that, Tim, that was the final act, I'm guessing. It was. So what I'm going to, just to close the episode, we won't go into these in detail, but I just wanted to go through who won the various awards on the, uh, the, the, the year, the ni- 1991. So, okay. so your video of the year was REM's Losing My Religion. The best male video was Chris Isaac's Wicked Game, <laughs> which interestingly had a different video for the UK and the US audience. Uh, best female j- video was Janet Jackson's Love Will Never Do Without You, mm. which Good is not song. a super familiar song from Janet Jackson. It's no control on Nasty, I'll tell you that. Or Escapade. Uh, yeah. And the best group video was R.E.M.'s Losing My Religion. They they cleaned up a bit of these awards. Mm. It was that um, year that that song came out. And it was huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Best new artist in the video was Jesus Jones, Right Here, Right Now. Well, I mean, I still hear that song all the time, so. Yeah, again, I, th- I, I don't know much else of their output, but that's the mm-hmm. one that you always remember from them. The best metal hard rock video was Aerosmith's The Other Side. I wouldn't have predicted that. Okay. Yep. The best rap video was LL Cool J's Mama Said Knock You Out again. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> and the best dance video was again, CNC Music Factory. Gonna make you sweat. Everybody dance now. 
Well, it makes sense. Usually the people who are performing win as well. That's typical. There we are. Jane's Addiction won the best alternative video with Bin Court Stealing. <laughs> and the best video from a film, again, was Chris Isaac's Wicked Game. I wouldn't have predicted that. And then you get into the other things. Best long-form video, Madonna's Immaculate Collection. Breakthrough video, R.E.M.'s Losing My Religion. Best director, Losing My Religion. Best choreography, CC Music Factory. And then you start getting into these like awards they probably didn't even have on the TV. Hmm. Best cinematography, best editing, et cetera, et cetera. Those, those people are like, we don't even get mentioned on the show. <laughs> exactly. Rude. <laughs> but there we go. So there we are. That was my wrap up on the 1991 MTV Music Video Awards, a pivotal show and TV program for me and probably of little consequence for everybody else. But there we are. That was my topic. Yay. It was pretty fun. I mean, I hadn't thought about it in a while. I like how I kind of forgot halfway through what artists we were talking about. <laughs> yeah, that's typical. All right. And with that, bye. See you later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 